Blog Talk Radio. Hello, welcome to Snake Oil Radio. Here on Blog Talk Radio, this is your host, Jim Ventura. Thanks for joining me today, whether you're catching the show live or on archive. Uh, welcome. Uh, my name is Jim Ventura. If it's your first time tuning into my show, uh, a little quick information about me, and then we'll kind of dive in. Uh, I am a professional navigational consultant. Uh, my expertise is in astrology and numerology, and I work with uh, all kinds of different oracles, including runes and tarot and a few other things like that. Um, I have been doing that for many years. I have a, a home-based business that I run and I also do sessions by phone uh, with clients. Uh, if you want any information about any of my services, go to jimventura.com. You can get info there about the different services I offer. Uh, also, of course, I am a, a writer and a teacher, and uh, I've got a couple of published books. Again, info on that is all available on my website. Uh, you can access those books through me or through Amazon. And I do a monthly column called Snake Oil uh, that is sent out by email uh, once a month to people who subscribe to my column. Uh, there is no cost to subscribe to my column if you're not already getting my newsletter, you can email me at VenturaSag at Yahoo.com. Get added to the monthly newsletter mailing list. Uh, that's, of course, uh, blind copied out, so your, name, you know, your, uh, your name's never going to get sold or anything like that. No one's ever going to get access to your email. Uh, it's just a once-a-month column. And this, of course, gives you discounts on sessions and, and, and great information. Okay, so all that sales aside, uh, this is the uh, beginning of a month, so we've got our uh, our, our live column read. Uh, I'm going to talk about that a bit in detail afterwards. It's a little bit of a shorter show. Normally I do a 45-minute show today. It's only going to run about a half hour uh, because of some scheduling conflicts that I have run across. Um, we are uh, now on at 4 o'clock uh, Arizona time. I normally would start at 3.30, but they changed the system. Lots of fun stuff with Mercury being retrograded in Taurus. Uh, I talked about that on, on last week's show. If you want to go back into archive, you can find out a little bit about what's going on that way. I don't think we'll be able to get to that today. Uh, any more information on that? So uh, again, typically what I do with the column read shows is I read the column, talk about that in a little bit more detail. I said, again, I won't be taking live calls. We won't have the time for that. I typically don't do that uh, for the uh, column shows. Uh, we just don't really have enough time. Uh, I'll usually do that during the uh, astrology update shows. So, okay, anyway, uh, welcome everyone uh, who's with me today, uh, and uh, let me, again, let's kind of dive in and, and read the column, and then we'll go from there about our discussion today. So this column is called, uh, this snake oil is called Traffic School. I silently cursed the cop who pulled me over for speeding in a residential area. Going 15 miles over the ridiculously low speed limit had earned me a $150 ticket. This was hardly worth the two-second frown I was, get, well, I was trying to avoid from the owners of the French restaurant where I worked. The police officer told me I was lucky. I could attend traffic school one Saturday and avoid points on my driving record and this obnoxious fine. The money was tight at the time. I had recently separated from living with my partner, and I was earning extra income by waiting tables. The idea of eight hours in traffic school made me feel life like, like life really sucked. A few weeks later, on a beautiful Saturday afternoon, I bit the bullet, paid the $90 for traffic school, and attended the class. 
could I endure this and still put in six hours of smiling, pouring wine, and serving escargot to wealthy socialites? I was not a happy man that day. There were about 100 other offenders in the same boat as me, stuck against their wills in this tedious class. The instructor did his best to make things as interesting as possible and even offered to answer questions we might have about traffic safety. I groaned when I looked at my watch and realized I had four more hours of this crap before I was free. My fellow violators were raising their hands and asking questions. The questions were not about traffic safety. They were all excruciatingly long, detailed reports of how each person should not have received a ticket in the first place. Quote, a huge semi blocked my view of the cop who nailed me. How fair is that? Quote, I got a pegged by a speed radar trap. What makes Arizona think that this is an acceptable way to make money? Quote, I was only going like two miles over the speed limit. You would think they would go after real criminals. This poor me, life is unfair, tirade went on for hours. Everyone who raised their hands to talk had been screwed over by the system. Each person believed they'd been victimized in one way or another. I actually began to feel sorry for the instructor. How many times had this poor man been subjected to this parade of delusional casualties? I wondered why the victim theme is so prevalent, not only here, but across the country. Frivolous lawsuits, coffee that's too hot, tobacco companies that are responsible for making people smoke, people wrongfully arrested for driving while intoxicated, glandular problems making me fat. The list of questionable reasons people come up with is very long. What makes so many Americans believe they're victims? I sat in class and began to feel ashamed to be part of this collection of spoiled brats. How many people suffer with real cases of victimization, rape, violence, robbery, and a host of other tragedies that don't complain nearly to the degree these losers were? I wonder if I was the only one there who was sickened by all this whining. I was guilty. I'd gone way over the speed limit and I was caught. A police officer did his job appropriately. I was doing time here deservedly. All things considered, I got off easy. The study of metaphysics teaches that we're never really victims. And I was reminded that the majority of the people in this world do not know this fact or pretend that they don't. As the class finished, the instructor announced he would hand out the certificates. Since elementary school, I've been accustomed to my name being called at the end of, the, uh, at the end of every list. Never something I've been a fan of. Uh, my last name starts with a V. But a pushy, loud-mouthed young woman behind me insisted that he reverse the alphabet this time. Not surprisingly, her name started with a Z. And she received her freedom first. My name was called second, which saved me a good 20 minutes off my way to get out of this class. Perhaps the universe was telling me that I had learned some valuable things in traffic school after all. Okay, so I wrote this column actually uh, way back in. Let me see when I when I wrote this. This was originally written in uh, see in in in, uh, in in September of of 2003. But that is like going on 13 years ago, which is wild. In fact, so this is a repeat column uh, that I had put up, and it's really cute because I had a number of. Uh, people getting my column who kind of said, oh, I'm sorry you had to go through traffic school and, and a few other things, which made me laugh because they didn't read my further notes about the fact that I wrote this column <laughs> 13 years ago, which I said 
Uh, I haven't waited tables in many, many years. Most people know me know that. Uh, in that sense, it was a repeat column. In fact, this is one of the. This is literally the second column I ever wrote uh, when I started writing uh, a snake oil column, and was actually is in my first book, uh, one of my first books, Snake Oil Volume One, which is the first five years of columns. You know, I decided to rerun this because, uh, partly because I'm lazy and I don't do a new column every month. I do about six or seven a year and then about five a year are repeats. That's the beauty of having over 100 columns. I can run reruns and I'm allowed to. <laughs> and, uh, a lot of times I wrote these so many years ago, people didn't read them, or it's good for them to get a refresher as well. So my laziness um, has value on multiple levels. But, uh, you know, I like this column. Uh, I, I remember in vivid detail going through that process of having uh, of, of to go to the traffic school. I remember exactly what happened. Obviously, it wasn't that long ago. Um, I was really frustrated having to do the traffic school thing. I was late for work, and I was driving fast. Um, you know, the funny thing is, you know, probably a lot more conservative in certain areas of life uh, as I've gotten older because now, you know, when I see someone driving 15, 20, 25 miles over the speed limit, one, I never do that. But I, I really wish they would get tickets uh, more often. And I really think if someone's doing 20 miles over the speed limit, they should actually uh, do uh, a night in jail. And I know that's uh, for someone so liberal in a lot of ways, it's probably surprisingly uh, conservative approach. But I just think that you're endangering people's lives. You're, you know what I mean? It, it, it's just insanity the way people drive. And, you know, one of the things that I learned in that class that was really valuable to me is the instructor had said, for the most part, I mean, there's certain towns like in Arizona, Paradise Valley or Gilbert, um, even if you're just a couple miles over, they can peg you for speeding. But as a general rule of thumb, if you're five, six, seven miles over the speed limit, for the most part, you're not going to get a ticket. So, you know, uh, that's a reasonable speed barrier to me. Uh, you know, if it's 55 and you're able to do 61, 62, cool. You know, uh, you get the little feeling of going a little faster than normal in that sense, but, you know, you're not breaking any laws and, you know what I mean? And again, that was reasonable to me. So that was what was valuable. Um, but I think, you know, the, the main purpose behind the column, and, and this comes to play currently in what's going on as well, too, in the world and certainly in America that I want to discuss, is, again, what was so bothersome to me was this parade of victimization. Very few people owned that they deserved a ticket, so to speak. Again, it was this whole list of all these things that happened and how unfair is this and all this other jazz. And, and I just, I listened to this, and like I said in the piece, I just get so uncomfortable sometimes with human behavior uh, because you know, there's a reason for speed limits. No one's doing it to be mean. Um, you know, when you're going too fast, your ability to see an animal or another human being or to navigate and maneuver the car, of course, is a lot harder to do. You know, there's areas in Arizona, like on the I-10, where you can do 75 miles an hour when you're heading in, from this point into California. You know, that, that's pretty fast to be able to go in a car. You know, I always laugh, too, because the HOV lanes – I think people, I notice this too, uh, there's a lot of HOV lanes in Arizona, almost every every uh, freeway has one. Uh, people, I think, think it's like the Autobahn, 
we were able to do like a hundred in that. And so if, you, if you're only going the speed limit or a little over, the person behind you is really angry. It's not the autobahn. You you can't. There's no unlimited <laughs> speed limits in the HOV lane. Uh, but uh, again, back to my point, uh, I think there's a victimization consciousness that exists for a lot of people. Now, let me elaborate on that because, you know, for me, uh, anyone who knows my history and has read any of my books or worked with me and, and read my columns, you know, sometimes I talk about having been raised Catholic. Um, I was raised very traditional Catholic. I went to Catholic school from first grade to eighth grade, and then my parents uh, couldn't afford the uh, Catholic uh, high school for uh, seven kids in a family, so they pulled us out at that point, and we went to public school, which was traumatic in its own way. Um, but uh, so, you know, I had a Catholic education in a lot of ways. And, you know, while I, I definitely do not consider myself Catholic, uh, obviously, at this point in my life, you know, I, it, there were benefits to that education. Um, so I, I, I don't really tear it apart the way other people do either. There's definitely uh, a load of dysfunction that was connected with some of that. But there were some things that were valuable uh, the education, the feeling of being part of a family when I was in school, things of that nature, those things were valuable. Um, and uh, I, I had some, some good experience amidst the craziness. But one of the reasons that I, I, I really, in a lot of ways, I turned from uh, elements of Catholicism is, you know, as my spiritual studies increased uh, when I was, you know, I mean, I was questioning a lot of those tenets at a pretty young age, um, 12, 13, um, but uh, especially when I got to 16, 17, when I started reading metaphysical books and, and learning about numerology and astrology, and I was reading a lot of channeled books by Jane Roberts, uh, who channeled Seth, who talked about how beliefs create reality. You know, I began to really, really see that there was a whole different component to, to spirituality that was more uh, really appealing to me um, and the expansiveness, you know, with, with, with what I was seeking. And, and religion to me, uh, to me was spiritual too, but it was very limited in a lot of ways and, and much more ritualistic and, and less about, you know, expression of, of thought um, of your own personal perspective on things and, and understanding. So, I mean, I remember being in church when I was 13 and, and hearing the priest read the gospel um, and then he would he subsequently talk about what that meant, and, and a good half the time I'd be like, that's not what it means. And they, when I was 13 or 14, I could pretty much figure out what the meaning of those Gospels were, and sometimes the priest nailed it, and sometimes it was like miles from what that actually meant, you know, in, in that sense, or that I was totally misinterpreting what was said, and I, I'm a pretty smart guy. I, you know, I mean, even when I was young, I had a high, pretty high level of awareness. But one of the things about Catholicism that threw me, and part of the reason I pulled away from it, is there was an element of, of sort of suffering at some level is good for the soul, this idea of remaining, you know, and being small. And, and that's something that I, I very early on rejected and, and had a lot of difficulty with because it was sort of consciously as well as unconsciously taught. You know, even in my family, my parents really, you know, pushed us to be small. Uh, you know, going to college, getting degrees, becoming successful, that was not sold in my family. Uh, it was you get a job, you stay with that job for all of your life, you become an air conditioner repairman, you become a hairdresser, you, you know, uh, very, uh, you know, blue-collar type of disposition and perspective on things. Um, 
So, you know, most of my brothers and sisters went to college anyway. We just did it on our own. Our parents didn't pay for it um, uh, because they weren't really supporting it. And honestly, how could you support 77 kids to college? Um, but uh, the victimization thing was something I learned early on. Uh, you know, I, I remember reading comic books, the comic books. They were like Catholic comic uh, I call them comic books, but they were drawn little books. I remember reading them. My mother got a couple of them at a bazaar. And I remember reading them about the lives of saints and St. Teresa. Her eyes were gouged out and she was raped and she was abused and God loved her and she became a saint. And, you know, and I, to me, there was an association in my mind at some level that suffering could espouse you or move you toward sainthood. And that, to me, is insanity. Uh, you know, from a metaphysical perspective, when I learned about shamanism, you know, part of the path of shamanism is to go through trials and difficulties at some level to to become a shaman. Um, you know, and, and some of those are really, really difficult. So early on, I loved a lot of elements of shamanism, but there was no freaking way I wanted to become a shaman. I didn't want to go through those trials. You know, I mean, there's enough trials in life as it is without adding them to it. But the main reason I kind of bring this up is I think that there is uh, a consciousness, and it's not just connected with religion, with a lot of people where there is a belief in victimization, which is ultimately unfounded at, at one level or another. We, we ultimately create our own realities through our beliefs. So, you know, when we're talking about things that happened to you when you were a child, if you've gone through something extreme, like you were molested or abused or went through some type of difficulty, you know, the idea that you created that, of course, is very obnoxious. Um, no, no child wants to be abused or hurt or anything uh, to, to that degree. So this is not what we're talking about. Uh, a lot of times the things that happen to us while we're younger are really more karmic in tone, meaning that they are uh, elements of, of karma that we're, we're, we're working through um, or, or elements that will eventually strengthen us later on in life. Uh, uh, to help others and guide others because we went through some type of a difficulty. So there's purpose behind it. So we're not really talking about that stuff. We're talking about decisions and experiences that happen when you're an adult, when you can make choices, when you can make decisions accordingly. Uh, again, there's, there's a certain level to me of self-responsibility that comes into play um, when you are, uh, again, a, a, a human adult. When you're, you know, again, you're not inflicted by uh, uh, cruelty from from others around you necessarily. Um, you know, I have a. I'm going to use this as a perfect example. I have a client. In fact, I have a number of clients that would probably fall into this category over the years, who uh, are in very, very abusive marriages, um, where they're not necessarily physically abused. In some cases, I've experienced people who've gone through that too, and talked to them. Um, but who are in, in, in currently in, in you know, long-term abusive marriages slash relationships. Now, sometimes they stay in those relationships for religious reasons because they believe that divorce is evil or wrong and God doesn't accept that. Again, another reason I got out of Catholicism for that type of logic that my mother followed when her own sister was married to an alcoholic and an abusive man and she believed she needed to stay with him anyway. Uh, um but these clients that have, are going through uh, or have gone through this type of thing, you know, 
a lot of times the, the person they're with convinces them they can't survive without them financially or uh, plays a guilt card. But again, a lot of times there's just fear of change uh, because what we have to do to carve in our own life, it's very, very scary. So leaving someone who's abusive, uh, I understand, can be a very scary, hard thing to do. Uh, a couple of situations when I was much younger, I was in somewhat, well, really just once, somewhat of an abusive structural relationship where I did have fear about leaving it and and getting out of it. Uh, Again, a lot of times it's a fear of change. Uh, And and sometimes it's just a deep-seated belief that you deserve to suffer at some level or another. But in most cases, again, you know, what I try to talk to my clients about when they're going through things like this is you, you know, while it might be scary to make the change, once you're out of it, you really 99% of the time are going to be so much happier once you've gone through that process of getting away from an abuser. So what I'm kind of getting at here, you know, because of fear and other factors, sometimes people will, in a quite real way, stay in abusive or difficult situations, again, for fear of of making some type of a change or or they believe that they, they deserve it somehow or they can't survive on their own. So this is what I mean by the idea that in some ways that's still chosen uh, because fear can be such a prevalent force for people, a lot of times it keeps them locked in a way in, in uncomfortable circumstances and situations that are ultimately um, limiting in, in that respect. Um, uh, so, again, when we're talking about victimization, like I said, in the piece, and, and to a large extent, and again, from a metaphysical perspective, it doesn't really exist because at some level we create our own reality. So, uh, you know, and 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 let let's let's use the current current political climate as an example of this at a large large level. You know, we're basically getting to a point where uh, it's likely to be uh, Hillary Clinton as the Democratic nominee and 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 uh, what's his face Trump as a Republican nominee. A lot of people are pissed off about this at one level or another because I think most people are not necessarily thrilled with either candidate uh, in that respect. Um, but, you know, in a lot of ways, I think we, we created this uh, individually and in mass. It, to me, on the Republican side, because they kind of let all the crazies in, in, the, uh, in the umbrella, the extreme religious right, the racist, things of that nature, gravitating toward the Republican Party, uh, now they're paying the piper because their leader at this point in the game is, is kind of, in some ways, the epitome of that in some respects. There's also elements of Trump, I think, that are positive. Uh, I don't think very many. But, but the fact that he's self-funded, there's a certain amount of strength there in a different way that I see people are drawn to. But, you know, again, that was created because of, of allowing some of the more darker, difficult elements into this party. At some level, to increase numbers. And the same thing on the Democratic side, at one level or another. You know, a lot of people are not going to be thrilled with Hillary uh, likely becoming the nominee. I think it's still possible Bernie Sanders could get the nomination, but I uh, pragmatically don't think so. Um, I wouldn't rule that out entirely, but I'd say it's less probable. A lot of people are not necessarily happy with that because she's very much an established part, uh, establishment party candidate at one level or another. So a lot of people are feeling victimized by the situation. I see this, you know, on Facebook with people posting all kinds of mimes about, uh, you know, hating Hillary and hating Trump and all the other jazz 
that that comes across the board. But you know, there's purpose behind this, and and for some reason, collectively, we're having this experience, even if we don't know necessarily why. In that respect, I think that's always an important thing to understand. Taking this back to a more personal level, when you experience victimization in any way, um, I, I I think more often than not. There's a wisdom in looking at the idea of why you drew that to you. Now, let me really, really reiterate this point. Um, We're not talking about blaming yourself, saying, oh, I'm so stupid that I got robbed or that I lost my job or I, 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 I dated someone who was abusive to me. What is the matter with me? Am I obviously an idiot? None of that. Get rid of that. That's not what we're talking about when we're talking about personal responsibility. Get rid of that. That is absolutely unnecessary and and, and obnoxious and and it's not going to get you forward at any level. When I'm talking about personal blame, we look at the beliefs that we have in terms of society, what we believe to be true about our own value, um, our sense of self-worth, all those other things, and and often there's something in there that may need to be kind of shifted around a little bit. Um, You know, I think sometimes people, you know, have a difficulty between what is unconscious intent and conscious intent. If your conscious intent is to have a relationship and a partnership and find someone who loves you, but you deeply believe that men are abusive or or terrible um, or there are no good men to be found or, um, you know, any of these other types of beliefs, you know, your unconscious intent is going to affect that creation of your reality in that respect. Well, you know, and sometimes people who, I see this a lot with people who are very lonely and they want to meet someone, you know, there is some part of them that also wants to be alone. They may have had very difficult, rough experiences when they were younger um, in relationships, and some part of them is afraid they're gonna, that's going to happen again, and they don't want to go through that experience. Sometimes people haven't had very good relationships at all or even no relationships, and they're fearful about whether they can handle or do that as well. So, I think it's important to look at the idea of unconscious intent, to pay attention to what's going on, you know, beneath the surface. Now, uh, for instance, and I'll I'll use myself as a personal example of this. Um, I have a, you know, pretty successful business. I I, I make enough money to live comfortably. Um, I'm not rich by any means. I have no desire to be. I like to be comfortable. Um, to do the things that I want to do, and I've had lots of ups and downs around the financial stuff. I figured a lot of things out about beliefs and limiting things that I had that created difficulty for myself. Um, But, you know, I could be a lot more successful if I wanted to be, Um, you know, easily through marketing. There's a number of things I could do to really probably double the amount of appointments I have each week. But, the truth is, and, and this isn't just trouble between unconscious and conscious intent because I'm quite conscious of this, but I don't really want to be that busy. You know, I, I do about 15 appointments a week. Some weeks I stretch to 20. Some weeks I only do about 11 or 10. Um, I like that. Uh, that works for me. Um, I don't, you know, I have no real interest in, in, in being overly busy. Because, you know, I'm very good about trying to get clients in when they're trying to get in as soon as possible and accommodating that. And if I doubled the amount of clients that I had, I would ultimately, um, you know, it would be a little bit more of a maneuver and I'd be working a lot more hours than I necessarily want to. So, uh, you know, when I'm I'm pitching if money's a little tight or something, I know 
that I could improve and increase it. But some deeper part of me doesn't really want to, so I really get what I need and, and I truly want in that area. So I don't really have a battle the way a lot of other people do about that subject. Same thing with the fact that I've been single for over a decade now. I've dated and, and uh, you know, on and off and had experiences and, and you know, and, and if I get really uh, horny, so to speak, I take care of that because I have no problem with doing that once in a while if that's what's necessary. Um, but I, I've been single for over a decade. And, you know, one level sometimes I'm lonely and I wish I had a relationship again. Another part of me knows that, you know, I spent a lot of years, my 20s and my 30s being what I humorously call a relationship junkie. I went from one relationship to another. It was difficult for me to be alone. And, you know, I think I've chosen at some level over the last 10 years to be alone for a while. Um, I'm, I'm thinking otherwise. I think it may be time for a change in that area. But I won't victimization that I can't find anybody. And, you know, I look deeper inside, and I think that, there's been a big part of me that really wanted the experience of, of being single and exploring that reality for myself. So what I'm kind of getting at is this, guys. Your beliefs form your reality. Uh, there's a tremendous wisdom in, in figuring out what you believe, um, uh, identifying where your beliefs are. And this is not as difficult as it sounds. Um, I do sessions with people on reality creating where I teach people this process, how to identify your beliefs, how to go through the process of changing them and, and shifting and changing your reality in areas that you're unhappy with. Um, those sessions can be done by phone or in office. Uh, again, information on all that is all on my website. But if you don't have the funds or interest in, in, in at that angle, let me give you a couple of shortcuts to this goal. Uh, one, recognize that your beliefs are not hidden. They're not you don't have to go through the, the, the minefield of uncovering, of deeply uncovering hidden beliefs and through intense Freudian psychology to figure out what you believe. It, you know, it, it's often quite conscious. Um, pay attention to your thoughts. We, you know, if you get in the car every day, if you're struggling financially and making ends meet, and then you get in the car every day and you're worrying about whether you're going to make enough money, you're worrying about having enough, you're running thoughts in your head it's like, I never have enough money, you know, every time I get money, it slips right through my fingers again. Uh, my bills keep going up. My pay keeps going down. I keep getting screwed at work because they don't give me enough hours. They won't hire me because I am uh, a woman or I'm too fat or I'm gay or, you know, whatever, you know, thing uh, that might have some kernel of truth to it but that you focus on at one level or another, you're ultimately creating that at some level. So that can be discreated. But the first thing you've got to do is you've got to identify what your beliefs are in the first place. When I went through some very tough stuff financially myself back in uh, 2008, 2009, you know, at a practical level, there was a recession that began, uh, and it was a very difficult one. Um, so a lot of people were affected. So I, I you know, uh, I own that part of it, that it wasn't just me. But, uh, yeah, money got really tight. I, I was really learning how to rob Peter to pay Paul to kind of get through. I mean, I, you know, it got so tight I had to go back to waiting tables and bartending for two years to supplement my income. Um, I, had, I, I had to siphon off a lot of my IRA money um, during a, a couple-year period. So there was a lot to that. But part of it was it was an interesting process. I'll use this as an example. Because what I identified during that process is that I had beliefs that I had done it wrong. 
that I should have saved more money. I should have been wiser. I shouldn't have spent money this way. I should have. I had a, a lot of I should have. I shouldn't allowed myself to get into credit card debt. I shouldn't allowed. I shouldn't. I shouldn't. I shouldn't. Shouldn'ting all over myself, so to speak. Uh, I caught that. That's what I was doing. And those were the tapes that were running through my head and, and fear and, and anxiety about whether I was going to make it. So when I began to understand that it was the beliefs that I was carrying and putting myself down and, and being, you know, uh, mean to myself and blaming myself and, and, and being frustrated with the banks and all the other things and, uh, you know, and, and Congress and any other excuse I can use to be mad at someone or something, I really began to see that, that I was creating this at one level or another. So that was the first step was to recognize what I was saying. What was the self-talk that was going through my head? Um, I, I changed gears. It wasn't the easiest thing to do because when you're changing your beliefs to more positive ideas that I have abundance, money comes easily to me, I, I get a free flow of, of, how, of how abundance comes to me. You know, we're changing those beliefs. To some extent, you're going against the fact of reality as it currently stands. So you're BSing yourself. But truth is, you BS yourself into original beliefs in the first place. So I, I went through that process, the very things I do in session with people, I teach them how to do, and, and I changed it fairly rapidly. Once I figured out what I was thinking that needed to change, and I began to shift gears, and I saw a pretty quick change outwardly, and I've really had little to no worries about financial concern in, in about four years now at all. Uh, I changed that. I changed my belief on my process. You know, the good thing is, uh, you know, I always say consider the uses of adversity. You know, on the positive side, even though I'm much more fluid now with money and finances and things of that nature, because I went through a process of, 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 of finagling and learning how to rob Peter to pay Paul and how to maneuver things, I am still really, really good at that. Like, I mean, even when, even when things are good, I'm a great bargain hunter and shopper, and I'm, I'm, I'm great at that. I enjoy it. It's almost like an art form to me coupon clipping and figuring out how to get a discount and things of that nature and how to get something for a better price. And, and I love that stuff. Uh, you know, and I, I got better at it because I had to. Now that I don't really have to as much, I still do it and I enjoy it. Ultimately, it's a process. In fact, I wrote an entire book on the subject in a completely different way um, called The Wise Guy's Guide to Gambling uh, that, that I have available um, uh, where I teach people how to use casino comps. Uh, that was something I was going through at the time also, which is I enjoy gambling, and because money was tight, and a, you know, I wasn't able to gamble as fluidly as I had at other times when I had more money. But I never, you know, I go to Vegas, I get six times, about six times a year. Because it was tight, I still figured out a way to go to Vegas by using comps and discounts, and I'm still able to do that. Now, again, that are more fluid. That's why I wrote a book teaching people about that subject. And, and, and it's not a metaphysical book at all. Not about uh, metaphysics. It's about the practicalities of being able to to uh, learn how to uh, maneuver casino comps so that you can get a ton of freebies or be able to take vacations for very little. Um, I went to Las Vegas uh, six times in 2015. Six trips, three nights, uh, three days, uh, comps, hotel room, food, gambling. You know, my one show I see, my spa visit when I go, all the things that I do, travel costs. And no joke, I uh, the total for all uh, six trips was $357, all six trips combined. Uh, I had a very lucky $2,000 win, 
in uh, October, but that's part of what I teach in the book as well, too, is how to play smart, how to gamble smart, what games to play that have better advantages in that sense as well. Again, I, I was able to learn that book through going through difficulties. There was a purpose behind it as well. Um, so uh, really, uh, you know, uh, uh, again, I often suggest the idea of considering the value of, adverse, of adversity. But the other point behind adversity is you experience adversity so that you can learn how to not have adversity. You know, there, there's no point in, 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 in being victimized. I could have been forced to give up my vacations and my, my Vegas trips and my things of that nature, but I got creative about how to do that in a more successful way. I was not going to buy into the victim consciousness of that as well, too. So there is some metaphysics behind that, too. But again, much of that idea was, was written in a very practical way. But again, uh, the point I make with the, uh, with the column that I read is this. You, victimization ultimately in the larger picture is an untruth. In other words, um, there is some part of us that believes and, and, and creates uh, the difficulty, and that's the key identifying those beliefs and ultimately changing them. Um, I, you know, I, uh, but perfect, another perfect example of this, every once in a while I, have, I, have, I see friends posting political things or points of view on Facebook, and I notice that a lot of times they go through a tremendous ordeal because some of the friends comment very negatively and attack them in the comment section, and, and then the next day, they're, you can tell they're a little very upset about what someone said, and they had to unfriend someone because they couldn't believe this person said that to them. And you know, I can tell you something. I've posted things on Facebook and other places that I'm sure people don't agree with and get pissed off about, but I have almost never experienced somebody coming after me verbally. Now, let me tell you about <laughs> let me tell you about that. You know, one. I, I'm not a very fearful person. If someone wants to confront me verbally, I, I love a good uh, melee of words. Uh, more often than that, if it's a subject that I'm knowledgeable about, I'm probably going to win just because I'm very smart and I'm a good debater and I'm a good negotiator that way. If it's a subject that I don't know enough about, I won't battle because I can't. I'm not coming from a place of knowledge, so that would be silly for me to do that. But I think you know maybe part of the reason people don't attack me is, uh, you know, that I'm a 210-pound, bold, uh, muscular bodybuilder boxer. <laughs> but, you know, that's also through the computer. So, uh, but I'll, I'll tell you what it is. It's just there's something in me that I, I'm not interested in battle in that way. I don't fear it. I ain't having it. It's not part of my belief system that it's even going to happen in the first place. Um, you know, I, I learned a lot of that by working with animal totems. I think I've talked about this on other shows, and, and the bear is one of the totem animals that I've worked with. And I do work with people that way uh, with animal totem sessions. That's really powerful in helping you to become stronger. But the joke I always say is this, I'm like a bear. Uh, I've got 51 years of anger. If you want to be the dumbass that's going to open up that door, uh, I, I don't wish it on anyone. And the truth is I'm a big teddy bear. I want to hurt a fly. You know what I mean? But can I? Absolutely. So I don't worry about that. But this is what I see, this attack on, on women and, and, and in general the ones that usually get attacked the most or people in general that comes. And, again, I think that um, people are mean, but I think at another level some of the people that get these attacks, you know, don't have that same level of strength and no way this ain't happening type of disposition. And they may really be friending people that are obnoxious to begin with. You know what I mean? So 
I think that's what the key is. Um, again, when we talk about ownership of belief, we're not talking about punishment. We talk about recognition of what you may believe that's limiting you and the ability to then change those beliefs so you shift your outer reality. We do this all the time, whether we're conscious of it or not. It's one of the reasons why, you know, I, I love working with oracles, with runes and, 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 and cards and angel cards and tarot cards and things of that nature because, you know, a lot of times they do reveal the beliefs that we have and the limitations even in those structures. So there's tremendous value that way. Uh, in, in working uh, in that context. Okay, so uh, looks like we're at the end of the show here. I see I have a couple of callers. Uh, I guess I don't, uh, I can't take live calls on the column read shows. I only do the live calls on the astrology update shows. So check back another time for those. I uh, appreciate your calls, but uh, we don't have enough time during the column read shows to uh, to answer live calls. Uh, but uh, Anyway, thanks for joining me either way. Uh, it was great talking a little about this. I wish I had more time, uh, but, I, again, i got some scheduling stuff. So I have to make this a little bit of a shorter show. Uh, if you're already getting my uh, column, email me at yahoo.com. I'll add you to the monthly newsletter mailing list. It is free. Um, and uh, if you want any information about the services that I offer, or any of my books, or any of the other good stuff, it's available. Go to jimventura.com. Okay, thanks for joining me here today, guys. Um, I will be back toward the end of the month. I'm going to try to schedule an astrology uh, update show, and again, you'll be able to, I'll be able to take some calls toward the end of that show. Um, uh, you can get on my little friend list through Blog Talk for that as well, too. Or again, those updates will come by my monthly newsletter if you get that. So uh, happy May, everyone, and until next time, cheers. <laughs>